Well, good evening. evening. We're nearly at the end of our series in Malachi. Um, It's been great, hasn't it? Have you enjoyed it? It's been very challenging, hasn't it? Um, For those of you, it's your first time here tonight, or you might have missed a couple of messages, I want to give you a a quick recap, uh, pull it all in together to where we are at at this point, yeah? Malachi is a book in the Old Testament. Malachi is an Old Testament prophet. A prophet is a messenger of the Lord. Now, prophets come from all uh, walks of life, all backgrounds. Uh, now, they, they normally, come, well, they do come at crisis points for God's people, at crisis points in Israel and Judea. They're sent by God to deliver his message to his chosen people. And they do, they, they, they're sent to, to see the wrongs in society and, uh, and, and to, live out, um, and to uh, remind them that their first priority is to live out God's standards in order to bring him back to him. The book of Malachi was written a hundred years after the return of Judea in exile in Babylon. Uh, but now the Persian Empire has succeeded. And things are not good. Things are not good. The, the Jews have returned from exile with high hopes. But as the years passed on, promised prosperity did not return and life was very hard. Life was hard. Uh, Jerusalem was still relatively deserted. The farmland was barren. Uh, the harvest hadn't been good so there was a lack of food. The temple that had previously built and had been destroyed and it had been rebuilt, but it wasn't a patch on, on Solomon's temple. It wasn't a patch on that. It didn't have the, the same beauty, so it did little to lift the morale of the people. Although the walls had been repaired, people preferred to live at in the countryside where they couldn't get attacked because the enemy was around them, uh, there was enemies around them trying to attack them at every given opportunity. The people were disappointed. They were despairing. The practice, the practice of a religion had become a formality. Uh, the people attended the temple, but it's no longer, it was largely out of tradition. It was a ritual without reality and certainly no longer priority. The priest uh, who was in the temple, they, they would become very slapdash with their duties and it filtered through to the people. From the priest, it filtered through. So the people were bringing uh, blemished offerings for their sins. Even after, being, even after promising to bring good ones, they would bring blemished ones. They were asking what the minimum amount of time they needed to spend on religious activities. They were asking what's the minimum amount of money they could get away with giving. The services were conducted in a casual and careless manner. It was almost like anything to do for God. It was slapdash, anything to do for him. With this attitude in their religious life, their moral life was suffering as well even though I don't think you can uh, split the two up. Your life's your life, and it affects all areas. But people were stopped bothering with God. And after a while, it was stop being bothering with God, stop being godly. The question, why, why be faithful to God, soon become, why be faithful to your wife? Why not, uh, well, when your wife gets older and loses her sex appeal, why not trade her in for a newer model, was the, was the consensus. Furthermore, the nation was short of women following uh, the return from Babylon. So they were marrying outside of God's people, contracting in foreign marriages. This was outside the law of God. All kinds of sins were prevailing. All kinds of sins were prevailing. How could they expect to prosper when a country was rotten with such practices? They didn't have a government to blame, but they did have a God. And that's precisely what they did. They blamed God. It's a funny thing, that, isn't it? As soon as things start going wrong, we start to blame God. Some of our friends even blame God, and they don't even believe in him. <laughs> but at the beginning of the book, we see God in all his grace and his mercy. He's affirmed his love for Israel, 
And then he's rebuking areas in their lives to bring them back to him. He's after reconciliation. He's always after reconciliation. Right, right let's turn to our Bibles. We pick the story up uh, in chapter 3, verse 16. And we're going to re- uh, read through from to 4, verse 3. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, you can listen to me. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasure possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts. So it will leave, uh, leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, all the way through this passage, we see two different types of people, the righteous and the wicked. In sharp contrast to the fault-finding cynics we've seen right through the book of Malachi, a second group's now mentioned. We don't know the size of this group, but a second group's now mentioned. And this second group, they've not given away to, to the doubters and the cynics. They've, in, they've kept their integrity and zeal for the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because we've seen through this book, it's been our... Oh, They've made a mistake again. And the messages that have been coming have been fantastic. But we've now got a group. Yeah. We've got a group who's going for God still. Amazing, isn't it, eh? Yeah. How did they do that? How did they do that in the midst of all that was going on? Because we've seen the first, the, the first group, as we worked through the book, turn their back on God and things hadn't gone their way. But due to their own fault, it wasn't God's fault, it was their fault. They were not obeying God. They weren't keeping his commandments. They were rebelling against God, dishonouring him, as which we all know as sin. So what was different? What was different from the first people of Malachi, all through this book of Malachi to the second people? The first people had a heart issue. They had a heart issue. Their heart had turned hard towards him, and, they just, and it was just hard. It was just hard towards God. And that has been the issue with mankind since sin entered the world, is the heart. It's been a, there's been a heart, it's been a heart issue since sin entered the world. When Jesus came onto the scene in the New Testament, he, ident- he identified that as the problem. He said it isn't what you eat or, what you, or, or where you go or what you touch that makes you unacceptable to God. It's the heart. Listen to what he says in Mark 7, 18 to 23. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For with, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adult, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus painted a picture of the human heart. It paints a picture of how these people, this first group, the first group of people we've been looking at Malachi, it points, paints a picture of them. There are certain attributes in there that, that was in them people. If you're here tonight, and you don't know God, you've not accepted Jesus into your life, then you're going to have a heart problem. You've got a heart problem. Where did the fits of rage come from? Where does the jealousy come from? Where does the selfish ambition come from? Where does the envy come from? It comes from the heart. 
comes from the heart. Why do we find it hard to do the right thing? Why do we, why do we find it difficult to keep good relationships good? Why, can't, why do we hurt the people we love the most? Why can't we just automatically all love each other and just get on? Because we've got a heart problem. In the Old Testament, we find God promises to do something new. Uh, God made a covenant with his people. He required that his people should keep, keep his laws, his commandments. But sadly, as we see through Malachi, they were consistently broken. But then God promised that one day he would make a new covenant with his people and it would be different from the first. You know what God said? He said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In other words, the law would be internal instead of external. It would be on the heart instead of external. How is God going to do that? How is that going to happen? He said, I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new heart. He said, you know what he said, I do? <laughs> I'll take out that heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will take the heart of stone out, the heart that's hard towards me, and I will give you a new heart of flesh. How's that going to happen? Because if you don't like hospitals, don't worry, you've not got to book yourself in for a heart transplant or anything like that, because that would be double dodgy if we all had to do that, wouldn't it? But you haven't got to do that. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. He takes out the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And this new heart won't be hard. It won't be hard against him. It won't be rebelling against him. It'll be burning for him. It'll be burning to serve him. It'll be burning to stand up for righteousness. Just like the second group of people we read about, their heart was for God, unlike the first group. And if you're here, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, or I'll tell you what, or if you, if you made a commitment to God in the past, a commitment to Jesus in the past, but you're not in that place anymore, there's going to be opportunity later to accept Jesus into your life. To accept that Jesus is the Son of God. To accept that he left heaven. You know, heaven's the best place in the world. It's the place where we can't wait to go. It's our goal. So a believer's goal is heaven. Jesus left there, come to earth, become, God become man. Jesus is the, the visible image of the invisible God. He come there and he come and he faced every trial and temptation and pressure and was obedient and went to the cross. He did that for every single person. There's, going to be an, there's, going to, there's an offer today to accept what Jesus done for you, for all your sins to be forgiven. All your sins to be forgiven. A new start. A clean slate. Everything you've ever thought, said or done, forgiven. Forgiven. Everything you should have said and all the people you should have helped, sorted. That's on offer today. A new life. A new heart. That's on offer today. So, what sets this second group apart from the others? Well, we know, they, we know they, the second group was heart was for God. How do we know that? Because it says, they feared the Lord and esteemed his name. The second group feared the Lord and esteemed his name. We're going to look at those two things in a moment, but do you know what? The pressure must have been on for this group. The pressure must have been on. Do you know, because they were still uh, in the midst of the, uh, the pe- their own people sinning and turning their back on God, and they hadn't. They was keeping going. They were still in the same thing with their enemies trying to get them and a lack of food. So the pressure was on. No doubt about that. The pressure was on. But what did they do as well? They kept their eye on God. This second group kept their eye on God. Where the others had got consumed with other things. They kept their eye on God. I'm going to give you an illustration about keeping your eye on God. Well, I got told off this morning by two girls because I tried to explain this, uh, this football <laughs> illustration and I, and, I said to the, and I said to the girls, listen, you're not going to understand this and I to explain what a striker was. And two girls come to me after and said, I know about football and I know what a striker is and it was precious at
as I said, um, me and the winger are not the only two people on the pitch. There's other people. Now, these other people are defenders. Now, what they're trying to do, they're trying to push me off the ball or trying to get in my way, but I can't pay any uh, attention to the situation around me, to the defenders around me. My priority is to keep my eye on the ball. Because if I keep my eye on the ball, I'm going to make good contact and I'm going I'm to net one. And I'm going to net one. See, this second group, <laughs> this second group, they kept their eye on the ball. They kept their eye on God. That's why they didn't let the situation around them affect them. Not like the first group. The first group got consumed with the situation. Why is everything going badly? The second group kept their eye on God. We must keep our eyes and fix them on God. Because if we don't, it can be damaging. It can be damaging. I wonder what the other nations around were looking in and thinking about what was going on. They're looking at uh, uh, God's people and the way they were relating with God. Because we don't know how big this second group was. They might have been lost in the middle of the mayhem of all the others. So the nations around are looking and thinking, what is that? I thought you and your God was meant to have a thing and just moaning and whining and, you know, it doesn't look very good. And I, that, I don't think that was God's plan. Well, I know it wasn't God's plan. God's plan is he chose these people to love them and bless them. And they was going to love him back in a response to what he, how he loved them. And they would love each other. They would help each other. It would be a proper community the way God wanted it. And then everyone would see that and go, this is different. This is real. This is good. That God's good. And they would come and worship him. But as we see through the Bible, that never happened. People went doing things their own way, worshipping other God calves and so what. You know, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, but it can be damaging. And it can, it, I mean, you see it happening in this day and age. You see people not keeping in with line with the word of God. You see it on the television, things going on, you think, oh dear me. And people, I've been I've witnessing to people. They come up and say, what was all that about? What is that about? Is that your God? And I have to say, that's not my God. That's man being silly. That's not my God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We, don't, we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. We must hold our line on the word of God. We must hold our line on the word of God. We've got to hold dear to God's word, because if anything contradicts it, it's not from God. Don't have nothing to do with it. Don't have nothing to do with it. We must live our lives out of the word. It's our guide. It's our manual for life. I was uh, listening to a CD. It's it's fantastic because, you know, you hear so many stories of miracles and amazing things happening in America and Africa. It's so good to hear. You have a CD of a bloke in Essex. (laughs) He'd moved to Essex. He was only 23 with his wife. He felt God just call him to this estate on Essex. Now, he didn't come from an estate background. He said, you know what? He goes... (laughs) I'd always, he goes, my family was quite posh and well-to-do. He goes, I'd never been on an estate. He said, God, he felt like God said, go to the estate. Not to even start a church. He said, just to go and tell people about Jesus. So, and he was telling about all these amazing miracles and things that was happening. He said, I didn't even see much healings, really, in my old church because it wasn't that encouraged. I didn't really hear people speaking in tongues. And he said, but, and someone said to him at the end of the question, well, how, did it, how did you do that? What was your strategy? He said, I love Jesus and I lived out his word. He went, I can't tell you no more than that. I love Jesus. I lived out his word. He said, I went there with not much money and, then, and I was able to give away six cars. <laughs> he loved Jesus. He lived out his word. Huh? If, we don't, if, if we stay true to God's word, then this is what the church is going to be like. And it's a beautiful thing, a thing. And the Apostle Paul shows us what the church should be like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24, it says this. If an unbeliever or outsider enters... He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all 
and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare God is really among you. That's what we want, don't we? Don't we want a church where people are regularly coming in, unbelievers, falling on their face, seeing the glory of God, being convicted of their sin, and seeing their lives transformed? That's what we want, don't we? That's what we want, don't we? We must stay close to God. We must keep our eye on God and hold dear to his word. Amen? We don't have to spend time with God, though, because he gets a bit lonely or anything like that. Not like that. We don't have to... It isn't like, uh, do you know what? I better give God a few hours this week because I, I, I ain't been hanging around with him much lately. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to help him out or anything. He created everything. He holds the universe in his finger. He doesn't need us to come along and help him. When I first became a Christian, one of my friends said to me, it's funny, he said, uh, so what have you got to do then? I said, what do you mean? He said, this Christian thing, what have you got to do? I said, I'm following you. He said, well, have you, have you got to pray? I said, he said, have you got, to, you got to read your Bible? He said, you never read your Bible. He goes, I've never known you have a Bible. You've got to read your Bible? He said, you've got to go to church every week? I said, I ain't got to do any of them. I ain't got to do none of that. He said, no. I said, I'll get to. I want to. It's a response. I get to pray. God's made, opened, opened a way by Jesus so I can pray. He's, opened, he's made the way so I can read the Bible. He's made the way so I can come to church every week and hear Steph's talk. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. It's amazing what he's done. It's amazing what he's done. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift. We can't earn this. The Bible tells us by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Do you know what? It's an insult to try and add anything to it. An absolute insult. To try and say that what Jesus done on the cross isn't enough. He was separated from the Father and he was beaten and nailed to a cross and you want to add something to that, it's insulting. By grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved. In the same book in Ephesians, it says, not your own doing. Not your own doing. It's a gift from God. So that we boast in Jesus Christ. Amen. We boast in Jesus Christ. Christians don't think they're special, but they know they're forgiven. Yeah. Jesus is special. <laughs> I love that song, though. You know when we all clap the king? I love that. Now we clapping Jesus. Isn't that amazing, you know? We're clapping him. I love it. <laughs> He's special. <laughs> we should do it more. He's special. He's special. He's special. Yeah, he's special. Let's clap the king. Whoa. Love you, Lord. Love you, Lord. We have an amazing honour and privilege, you know? An amazing honour and privilege to know God personally, to know him personally, to have a personal relationship with God, to be able to, like Steph said earlier, to come boldly to the throne, to get right in there with him, to spend time with him, to know the presence of God in our life daily, for him to walk with us. It's amazing. It's all been made possible by him sending Jesus to us. What an amazing God we worship. He's amazing. And as we draw near to God, as we spend time to him, you know what he does? He pours out his spirit on us. He pours out his spirit on us. And we need to be regularly filled with the spirit. We need to be regularly filled with the spirit. If I had one, I don't have one bottle of water all my life. That doesn't fill me up. I'll get dry again and I want some more. Same with God. We get filled. We don't just get filled once and that's it. We will need to be continually being filled with the spirit. So we can be refreshed, strengthened, so we can go forward with mission. Let's remind ourselves of the fruit of the spirit. They're beautiful things. Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So different to the outside world. So different. Inside of the church, so different from the outside world. Look at the second group. They were so different from the first, weren't they? They were so, def- so different from the first. Like I said, must have been half of this group. Uh, but the Christian life can be hard. I ain't going to tell you something that ain't, that's not right. The Christian life can be hard. Sometimes things can be tough. You can feel like things are, not going, are never going right sometimes. You, know, you go through seasons like that. Then there might be health issues. There might be tough relationships, tough marriages, financial pressure, bereavement. If someone's told you that the Christian life is a walk in a park, I'm afraid you've been led up the garden path because it's simply untrue. It's simply untrue. We don't sign up for an easy life. We sign up to We're responding to what God's done for us. Regardless of the situation, what we're doing is responding to what God's done for us. We love him because he first loved us. That's what we sign up for. But you know, when the troubles come, God, God like I said, he ain't going to take you random, so we never have a problem again in our life. But he will walk you through them. He will walk you through them. When I become a Christian, you know, t- two weeks before I come a Christian, if you'd have told me then to come up and said, then you're going to be a Christian in two weeks, I would have laughed in your face. That's as far away as I was from God. But my mother-in-law, who was a solid Christian, who loved Jesus, she used to leave all sorts of things in my pants drawer, and you know, Jesus loves me. And <laughs> so I, I don't even know what she was doing in there. But, you know, like down the side of the city, she'd leave all things, and and you know, she used to probably drive me mad a bit, really. But this woman was amazing. You know, I, I, she just loved Jesus, yeah. And, but she was she was at forty four, and she was had an aggressive cancer all through her body. It was aggressive, you know. And I remember her being in a, in a ward, a cancer ward, with all these other cancer patients. Now, she looked really, uh, really ill, because <laughs> she only, they were doctors were saying she's only got weeks to live. But there was something remotely different about her to all the other patients in there. There was life in that bed. Even though she was dying, there was life. Do you know what? Doc, it was an amazing thing. I, was, I, I wasn't a Christian at this time, so I'm standing back seeing this thing unfold before me, and doctors were drawn to her saying, what is that? Cancer surgery, what is that with you? How comes you're not like the rest? She's praying for other patients who are dying. She, nothing fazed her. Nothing fazed this woman. I, I said to her, what is that? And she pointed me to Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, she, now she, it was something I see in her. Not sure what she said. It's something I see in her that attracted me. Then a couple of weeks later, I got saved. I just, God got on me quickly and I saved. Amen. I had the best, best day of my life. Best day of my life. And it was an amazing time after that because uh, me, me and Donna then got married as Christians. Both of us done a recommitted at that time. Her mum was there to see it. But ten days later, she passed on and went to be with the Lord. So there was a real mixture of <laughs> me getting saved. Her cross, she said, I remember when I got saved, she crossed me off her lift and said, I've been praying for you for eight years. Eight years she stuck at it, you know. And at that time, before, if I wasn't a Christian, I know why God got hold of me quickly, because if I wasn't a Christian, I'd have been down the pub at that point. I, wouldn't, I wasn't mature enough. I wouldn't have been ha- handled to handle that situation. But you know what God did? He got hold of my arm and he said, come on, Dean, we're walking this together. I've saved you, I'm not going to leave you. We're walking this together. I was able to walk through the most traumatic time of my life and able to bring my family through. He will never leave us or forsake us. But you know, the Bible tells us to expect trials and tribulation. To expect it. I don't want to dull down situations that people are in 
But I think if we, if, if we come to expect certain stuff, but then when it comes, it ain't going to be as hard, you know? It might not be as hard. Because you know when we're really flapping at everything that's going wrong, and then when something really little happens, we flap at that as well. And everything becomes like a major headache, and it can bring us down. Jesus tells us, take up your cross. Take up your cross daily. That's what he says. Uh, persecution comes as a result of following Jesus. Friends might not want to know you. A few friends didn't want to know me. I heard my nickname's John the Baptist down the pub at the moment. Uh, uh, family might not want to know you. Certain families dropped me out as well. Some aunties and uncles don't want nothing to do with me anymore. Don't want nothing to do with me anymore. You might find job opportunities. Sometimes job opportunities are hard to come by. We can also go through seasons in our walk with God that can be really hard. I think there's a, definitely a place where God prunes us and cuts us back, so he refines us, so he makes us more effective for his kingdom. But there's also seasons we go through, like myself, I've just gone through one myself. Mine wasn't through, mine was due to my own fault. I took my eyes, like that first group in Malachi, for God. Instead of being consumed with him, I was consumed with lots of other rubbish. And then I see myself struggling in lots of areas in my life. Lots of areas in my life. I felt like I couldn't pray. I felt like I couldn't read my Bible. You know, but God's gracious and merciful to us. And it took me a while. It took me around the track a few times until I got it. But thank God I got it. And I repented. And there was grace and mercy there for me. And there's going to be grace and mercy for you today as well. Look what happens in verse 16. What did the Lord say to these, this second group in verse 16? He said, the Lord paid attention and heard them. This group who feared and esteemed his name, the Lord paid attention and heard them. And I felt, as I was preparing this, I felt God really impressed on my heart for people today that you feel like God's gone a bit silent, you know? That the situation around you is mental, it's really hard, but God's not hearing your cry and he's not hearing your prayers. He's not paying attention and he's not hearing you. That's how you feel at the moment. But I feel like God really wanted to bring encouragement for you today. God impressed that on my heart to bring encouragement for you today. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and, he, and his ears towards their cry. God's for you. God's for you. He ain't just gonna leave, he ain't gonna just save you, send his son Jesus to die on a cross, and then leave you to get on with the rest of your life without him. He ain't gonna do that. The Lord cares for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. It's not on how he feels at certain times, his love ain't like that. It's, it's unconditional. It's no strings attached. I just, want to, I just want to bring that to the guys who, think, who are struggling at the moment with certain things. He loves you. He loves you so much. A book of remembrance was written uh, at this time as well, in God's presence concerning these faithful believers. Uh, similar books of significant deeds were kept by kings in the ancient world. Uh, this image of God's record, which appears throughout Scripture, indicates that God will never forget and rightly judge both the good deeds of the righteous and the evil deeds of the wicked. This, this second group here, they esteemed the Lord's name. They esteemed the Lord's name. Now, to esteem, the Lord, to, to esteem a name is to hold it in high regard, to show respect. That's what this group was doing. Now, they was holding the name of the Lord in, in high regard. They weren't messing about it. They were showing respect to the Lord. And what does the Lord say? They shall be mine. They shall be mine. They shall be my treasured possession. This whole theme of like, you know, what God's trying to get over, I think, today, like, you're his. He's not going to let you go. I said it this morning. When you're saved, you're saved. You're not in the kingdom and then out of it. It's not like, 
you, you, we have a bad week and you, you might have hit your hand with a hammer or something. You've sworn, you think, oh, that's it, I'm out of the kingdom. I'm out of the kingdom this week. But then next week you've witnessed to somebody and you've been really good at praying and then oh, you think, oh, I'm back in. It's not like that. When you're in, you're in. You're his. You're his. You're his treasure possession. For those who put our trust in the Lord, we're God's and he's never going to let us go. He's never going to let us go. But when you, know, when you think of treasure, of uh, something, of uh, sentiment, your value, you're not going to give it up at any cost. Someone comes along and says, oh, that's nice. How much do you want for that? You go, oh, give a tenner. It's not like that. God's holding on to you. He's not going to let you go. You're his. Exodus 19 verse 5 says, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. You shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people of his own possession. You're his. You're his. But uh, the offset of that is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him <laughs> who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. I love the fact that we're the Lord's. But with that, we proclaim what he's done for us. We proclaim what he's done for us. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you, ain't, if you don't know God at the moment, then you've not come into that plan yet. You've not come into that plan yet. Life don't, be, don't start at 40. It begins when you give your life to Jesus. It begins when you give your life to Jesus. When we come into God's plan and purpose for our lives, like it says in verse 18, there will be a distinction between those who serve the Lord and those who don't. There will be a distinction for those who serve the Lord and those who don't. If there's no distinction between those who serve the Lord and those who don't, how are we going to make a difference? The first group of people in Malachi wasn't serving the Lord and they moaned and groaned, didn't they, to the Lord? But this, that and the other. What did the Lord say? You're no different. There's got to be a distinction between those who serve and those who don't serve the Lord. We don't just serve the Lord on Sundays, do we? We don't just serve him on Sundays, and then the rest of the week we go about the rest of our lives. We serve him every day, all day. We serve him every day, all day. As we've seen through the book of Malachi, he's interested in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. He wants everything of all of us, and he deserves it. He deserves it. This second group, they feared the Lord. It says they feared the Lord. Now, what does the fear of the Lord bring about? In Psalm 33, 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. His eye's on you. His eye's on you. Those who hope in his steadfast love. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's these two verses back up what this second group's going through. Verse 16, listen, The Lord paid attention and heard them. Psalm 33 says, He had his eye on him. He's got your back. <laughs> He's got your back. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's got your back. When I'm out with the kids, Donna says, keep, they might be running on a bit. And Donna says, keep your eye on them. I said, I've got them. I can see them. And if, I, if, if they go out my sight, I, I move so I can see them. I've got my eye on my children. You're children of God. If you've, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, he's, well, you're one of his children. He's, he's got his eye on you. He's got his eye on you. Amongst the mayhem of his life, this group had to try and live a godly life and be faithful to him. How did they do that amongst what was everything that was going on? They needed knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, especially what the situation these guys are living in. The test for spiritual vitality is the fear of the Lord. This reverence for, for God promote, prompts true worship. It prompts true worship, always thinking about and honouring God's name because he's worthy, isn't he? 
He's worthy of our honour and praise. Revelation 14 verse 7 says, Fear God and give him the glory. Fear God and give him the glory. Because the hour of judgment has come and worship him who made heaven, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. I want to finish tonight by looking at this great day of the Lord. The day of the Lord uh, has both reference to the first and second coming of Jesus. When Jesus came to the earth, he brought the kingdom of God in. Then he went to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit and the kingdom continues to be breaking out. Continuously, you see people say, people healed. Now the kingdom will come to completion when Jesus comes back to wrap all things up. Amen? Let's look at a verse, let's look at a verse that describes when Jesus comes to the scene. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Sun, S-U-N, of righteousness with healing in its wings. That's what it says. Son of righteousness with healing in its wings. Here we to understand as the coming of Christ in the flesh to seek and save the lost. In Luke 1, 78, it says, Because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. It's a, this is a metaphor for the coming Messiah. Listen to these verses. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He is the light of the world to people's souls. Just as the sun is to the visible world. Without the sun, the world would be in darkness. Without Jesus Christ, we'd still be in darkness. He is the son of the righteous. He is the righteous saviour. The one who came and took away our sin. Amen? Amen? Martin Luther said this, Under the law, which I spoke about earlier, there is weakness and condemnation. Under the wings of Christ, under the gospel, there is strength and salvation. It's amazing. Listen to this, it's beautiful stuff. As the rays of sun spread light and warmth over the earth for growth and maturity of the plants and living creatures, so will the sun of righteousness bring healing of all hurts and wounds which the power of darkness has inflicted upon the righteous. Christ come as a sun not only to bring light into a dark world but also to bring healing. It says, with healing in its wings. Mark 1 verse 34 says, He healed many who were sick with various diseases. What an amazing saviour, eh? What an amazing saviour. He come and brought forgiveness of sins. And he come and brought healing. He took our death that we deserve. He was separated from the Father. He died on the cross because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's what he come to do. That's why Christ come into this world. Like Steph said earlier, you can be sure he's coming back. You can be sure he's coming back. In, the, in Acts, the book of Acts, it says he'll return in the same way as he went. He will return in the same way as he went. And when he comes back, he's going to take those who's put, who's put their trust in him. He's going to come back and he's going to take those who put their trust in him. You need to be ready. Because we don't know when this is going to be. Only the Father knows the times. You need to be ready. You need your name in, that he says in Revelation in the book of life. You need your name in there. Because when your name's in that book, it, like I said, when he's in, he's in. It's not going to get rubbed out. You're in there. And he's going to come and take those people who are in there to be with him forever. To be with him forever. But the arrogant, but it says in, them, them, in, the, in that passage, they're the people who challenge God's authority and who are stubborn in their unbelief, won't go. It says that the stubble, which means to be cut down, those people's names not in that book of life will be thrown, it says, into the lake of fire. Hell. 
I'm not trying to scare you or anything here, but I'm trying to tell you what the Bible tells us. Jesus tells us to avoid hell at all costs. He says, like, he says if it's your foot that, uh, that causes you to sin, cut it off. If it's your hand, cut it off. If it's your eye, rip it out. But as we see from the beginning, it's not, them, not that's the problem, is it? It's the heart. We can't cut our heart out, but God can give us a new one today. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. God's not like us, thank God. <laughs> he doesn't change. He's unchangeable in his judgments. Men and women wish they could change him because <laughs> they don't like him for his godly attributes. Sovereignty, holiness, justice, wrath. And even his, they don't even like him for his love because he's a holy and perfect love. But he does not, he does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he loves you. He loves you so much. <laughs> he loves you so much. Heaven's going to be a place where God will be with his people forever, where he will dwell with them, where there'll be no more pain, no more crying, no more death, because the former things the Bible tells us has passed away. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. We await the time when the spirit and the bride say, come. When the spirit and the bride say, come. Amen. I mean, I just feel like God's just speaking to me about healing. As I was bringing it today, I feel like there's someone here who needs to be emotionally healed. I think it's something from your past where you've had words spoken over you and they've scarred you. They've scarred you emotionally and you're still carrying that around with you and God wants to bring healing with that to you today. I'd love to, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up and come out the front, but I, if that's you, I'd love to pray with you after. And you know what, I'd love to give opportunity for you, like I said, to accept Jesus in your life. There's an opportunity to know God personally today. I can't urge you how, how important that is. It's the most important relationship of all. There's not another relationship more important than knowing God. And I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to come up the front either. But we're going to take the bread and the wine later. We do this in remembrance of what Jesus done. For that he's, we take the bread because his body was broken for us. We drink the juice for his blood that was shed. If you want to know Jesus, you can, because it's about, it's, like I said, it's about a heart issue. We can say it with our lips, we've got to mean it in our heart. One of my friends that said to me, I'll tell you what then, Dean, if you think this is so good, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, 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 I'll accept what you believe, and then I'll carry on living my life the same. I said, that ain't going to work. It's <laughs> not going to work. You think God can't see your heart? This is a heart issue. We want to give your heart to Jesus today. You say a prayer, something like this, that, you accept that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to die for you for all the things you've said, thought and done wrong. And you want to give him your life today and you want to repent. Because repent don't mean to say, I'm sorry about that. No, you repent, you turn away and you follow him. You put your trust in him. You pray a prayer like that in your heart and you can walk out of change tonight. I promise you that. I promise you that. Then you can take the bread and wine later. Remember what Christ has done for you. And if you do, do pray that prayer, come and find me after because I'd love to pray with you some more. And give you some literature. Thanks very much. Your fan like to come back up, yeah?